0: rightly give thanks to God our Father. Let's read together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe that God today is taken from the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous accounts from Jesus' life. In it, he paints a picture of heaven. He paints a picture of himself. He paints a picture of our relationship with the law, and he paints a picture of what he's going to do in order to save us, what he'll turn us into. When we read anything from the Sermon on the Mount, the cross should be very up front and center in our minds. And so as we read these verses today, I'd like for you to treat them in a different way. Treat them as though they're voiceover for the image of the cross. Keep the image of the cross and Jesus on it in your minds while we read this as voiceover. It's taken from Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 45. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun to shine on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Here ends our lesson. Please be seated. The time in my life where I'm typically the biggest hypocrite happens on a pretty much daily basis. It happens when I say thank you. When I say thank you, I'm almost always cutting off a huge part of myself because at its core, we really dug down into thank you. It's an act of surrender. It's me acknowledging that I wasn't enough, that I was weak, that I needed somebody else for me to just do a thing, or that I was less and now somebody else has made me more. I don't think about these things when I say thank you. I've been taught to say thank you Carelessly and casually for everything. I say thank you to Alexa who does not care, right? Admittedly, it's probably at least a little bit for the, you know, Inevitable robot uprising and I think politeness is well advised with our future overlords, but I'm joking about that by the way. Uh, That's a That's a different thing. Thank you is something that I say without even thinking about it. When I do think about it, I'm admitting something. I am admitting that I'm weak. I am surrendering to somebody else and to what they've done for me. The word for can be a clue for us when we're looking in the Bible, when we're looking at a text. It gives us a a, a little bit of a, a heads up that we're about to be looking at the conclusion of an argument or a critical point in a case that's being laid out. Why does something happen? It happens because of this reason. We have one of those very critical fours in our uh, text today, the, uh, a crux on which this argument is turning. And what it lays out for us then is this format for how we ought to treat our enemies. But it doesn't just leave it there. Something happens to us when we treat our enemies in that way, in this way. And it tells us what we get out of that. But weirdly, the thing that tells us we get out of that doesn't sound like a very big deal until we actually put a little bit of thought into that as well. So then we'll wrap by thinking about how mind-bogglingly amazing that gift that we get is. So what is it calling on us to do in these verses. Jesus lays it out the way that I normally would interact with the world, my default state. Love those who love you, hate your enemies. That makes sense. That's my normal reaction to the world. Hate isn't just easy. Hate is kind of fun. Hate makes things interesting. The Green Bay Packers and the Vikings played each other in a football game very recently. The hate that those two teams have for each other made that game more interesting. And when we looked at the celebrations when uh, Green, no, uh, when the Vikings won. Yes? Yes, there we go. I'm a Niner guy. Uh, when the Vikings won that game and you look at the celebrations that the, uh, the people engaged in, They were very much at the expense of the other team. And I'm not holier than thou in this one. Uh, I, uh, uh, went to Michigan State. And when they play University of Michigan, my, a, a substantial amount of my year hangs on the outcome of that game. And I'm as happy that Michigan State wins as I am that University of Michigan loses because of, because hate is so natural to us. It's fun. It's interesting. We revel in it, but it's one of those things that comes back to haunt us. Uh, Chaplain uh, Molstead told a story on uh, Monday Chapel where he told you about when uh, he was in Jerusalem. Do you remember this? He was in Jerusalem and got caught up in a mob, basically, while he was there. Now, he was very, very kind because he omitted a critical detail from that story. It was me who got him caught in that mob. (laughs) We were having a perfectly fine time looking around Jerusalem, and we saw that group of people gathering, and he noticed, and he said, huh, I wonder what they're doing over there. And then I said, let's go find out. (laughs) And we went over. And it was a mob. It uh, uh, It was effectively a parade, an almost impromptu mob parade. Uh, What they're celebrating, he mentioned this as well, that they were celebrating the end of a war, the Seven Days War, in which uh, Israel had been invaded by her neighbors and then won. Previously, Jerusalem had been a divided city uh, between Israel and neighboring countries, and after the war, Israel took control of the entire thing. During this celebration of that particular victory what they would do is they would go marching through some of the conquered areas of Jerusalem they would go marching through specifically the Muslim quarter of town and when they went marching through I only know this because I started getting into conversations with people in the mob you know like you do when you're in a mob and uh, so I was telling them about this they were very excited they had brought with them like fireworks and uh, bottle rockets And you'd fire them off at the uh, buildings and the homes in the Muslim quarter as you went through to celebrate the day that you beat them in the Seven Days War. Hate is fun. But hate's almost certainly self-perpetuating. They're going to have more reasons to hate their neighbors after that celebration than they did before. And their neighbors are going to have more reasons to hate them. Hate is a default for us. It's easy, and we like it. But beyond just our relationships with one another, hate was our default relationship with God. We were God's enemies by our own choosing. We cursed him, and we cursed his creation. We did evil to him. And when when he finally sent his son With only goodwill towards us, we hated him and persecuted him and killed him. And through it all, God's response to humanity in general, but to us specifically, has always been a response of love and grace and forgiveness and self-sacrifice. He loved his enemies. And because of that love... We gain something. The true son of our father in heaven is Jesus. He set the mold on how we respond to the people who hate us. And that response is not conditioned upon anything about those people. It didn't matter how violently they hated him, that they tried him falsely, that they nailed him to a cross after torturing him all day lifted him up on that cross, and as he laid there suffering and dying and suffocating, they made fun of him and laughed at him and spat at him. It didn't matter how close that hatred was to Jesus. His own beloved disciple Peter, one of the closest people on this planet to him, was denying him within hours of having been captured. Jesus's response was love. Jesus' response was to take the blame for the hate that people were throwing at him as they were throwing it. Jesus' response was to turn over the love that he had for them, the perfection that he had earned, and the reward that came with it. Jesus' response was to turn over who he was, the Son of God and give that title to his enemies, cover us with it, hide us from God's wrath. Why should we love those who hate us and in self-sacrifice pour our love into their curses? It's because Jesus gave us the mold of what it means to be the thing that he made us into, sons of the Father, inheritors of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus showed us how sons of our Father act on the cross. And that's amazing. At first, that doesn't sound like very much. Okay, he gave us a a paradigm to follow, so what? That's not a huge thing. But it's here that we actually really turn our thoughts to the party that we're having tomorrow, Thanksgiving. We turn our thoughts to the need to give thanks to our God for the unbelievable thing that he's already done for us. We aren't giving thanks with the expectation that we get any other favors out of God. Our text puts it in a really interesting way. It says, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God gives amazing wonderful good blessings to people who won't acknowledge that he's the one giving them those very things even as he's giving him them those wonderful things we aren't looking for additional favors from God because he's already done so much for us it's astonishing that he could even find something more to do for us. I want to play a little mental game here for just a second. Imagine God never sent Jesus. We, he made the world, put everything in it, put us in here. We sinned, forfeited our own eternal life, and God said, bummer, and did nothing. Right? We would still have every reason in the world to give thanks constantly throughout our lives to God for what he had done. Even absent our salvation, he gave us life. We exist on account of him. Even absent creation, he gave us a planet that we could actually survive on and exist in and thrive in and fall in love with. He gave us the things that we needed in order to live, food and drink. He gave us a means to support ourselves. He gave us relationships with other people that could be meaningful and transformative. Even without salvation, if you were an unbeliever, you still would have every reason in the world to spend your entire life giving thanks to God who gave you everything. The fact that he could find anything to pile on top of that is amazing. The fact that he found something to pile on top of those blessings that puts them to shame is something that only God could have possibly done. God blesses and loves the people who hate him. So what do I get out of, the, out of blessing and loving people who hate and persecute and revile me? I get To imitate God. I get to imitate God's son. I get to be a son of God. Showing the same love that Jesus showed us is how a Christian gives thanks. Amen. Please rise for prayer. Lord, we give you thanks for all your gifts. We thank you for the world you created, for the food and drink that you have given us, for the employment that you have found for us, for the opportunities to learn and to grow, for the relationships that you have have marked out for us. But chiefly, we thank you that all of these worldly blessings have been put to shame by your greatest gift, the gift of your son, the gift of perfection, the gift of eternal life, the gift of sonhood. Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts true thankfulness that we carry all throughout the year and reflect this love and forgiveness to the world. Amen.